for an understanding opportunity to hear your word. Thank you, Lord. Bring us understanding, Father, like never before. Open it up to us. Feed us with the bread from heaven right out of the oven. We thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. And praise God. Amen. Um, So today we're going to talk about, ask you a question. Is your complaining louder than your praising? Is your complaining louder than your praising? Amen. And the enemy always has a... a, um, uh, I guess a snare for us, something, you know, it, in the, the Bible talks about lay aside the weight and the sin that so easily besets us. You know, the, things just pounce on you out of nowhere. I, I always liken it to, you know, you, you have a vision of making it across the room from your bed to the bathroom in the middle of the night and you always bump into something, you know. I mean, you, you didn't mean to. You know you left it there, but you thought you remembered where it was. You walk around it, and you bumped into it anyway. And so those are the snares that the enemy sets for us. You know, a lot of times complaining comes out of frustration. It comes out of the fatigue that we experience. <clears throat> Believing the best we can, and then we kind of give in to that mindset. We let the devil speak to us too long, uh, magnifying the things that are not coming from God, not coming from heaven. And so it takes discipline to keep yourself from complaining, from magnifying what's what's wrong and what's not right. But it 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 can be drowned out by praise. You can catch yourself and then start to glorify God and praise God and obliterate and nullify the things of the earth that are against us, that are set against us. Uh, I know there are times when we need to unload some some things and just get free. Uh, I was uh, I think I mentioned it. I may not have mentioned it here, but um, last week or so, uh, my my clothes uh, the rod that holds my clothes in my closet fell down, and uh, and I knew exactly. I kept saying to myself for a couple years now. Oh, I need to thin this out. I need to get her in. And so, you know, it's time. So I did that. And so uh, Friday, the other one fell down. So the other side fell down. So I said, oh, Lord, we got to really do some unloading here. And, 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 and I just look at it. It's okay, God, let me get rid of some stuff. Not just physical stuff, which I will do, trust me. But also uh, some things that are standing in the way of my spiritual progress in God, too. Uh, God, light my load. Just take it. Whatever it is, I renounce it. Don't need it. If it's hindering me from being able to carry more of what you want me to carry, the spiritual aspect of it, I want it moved and, uh, you know, hastily moved. And whatever it takes, we'll just go through with God and, and get our burdens lightened so that we can carry we always want to carry the glory god i want to carry your glory but we're carrying too much other stuff too much unglorious stuff to really be able carriers of the glory of god and so it's just a good thing to always desire the best and and, but there are ways that god will have to put us through some paces and challenge us a little bit so that we can get to that place where everything that we do reflects his glory in the way he wants us to and so the confession of our mouth the meditation of our hearts and the condition of our souls you know 
what are we thinking about most of the time what grabs our attention we have to let the things of God grab our attention more than the things that are missing is lack getting more attention than abundance what do you have abundance of you have abundance of spiritual things I mean 24-7 you have no lack in that respect and so we, we have to understand that God has set in our lives the things that are most important and, and those are the spiritual things and, and from the spiritual will grow the material we just have to keep it in the right perspective so uh, in Exodus chapter 15 I thought we would go there and we'd see what what murmuring did for the nation of Israel now <clears throat> God had just done several uh, uh, awesome miracles for the children of Israel the miracles were not for God to show off his power or show who he is or prove who he was but they were necessary for these people to advance he had given them uh, relief from ten plagues that he put upon the Egyptians he had given them relief uh, from the death of the firstborn through uh, having them uh, partake of the covenant meal with him so he has all these people in covenant with him ready to cross over uh, into the promised land uh, by way of the Red Sea uh, he did a miracle again and caused the Red Sea to part to the degree that all night long those waters stayed separated one side from the other and the ground that used to be the bottom of the ocean was now dry so they could walk safely across no sloppy crossings <laughs> in God amen <laughs> so he, he allowed them to have all the comforts that, that anybody would need to trust him he does these things so that we can trust him now later on when they had to cross the Jordan River they had to use their faith and the priesthood went first and they stepped in and the waters parted as they stepped in but God was still there but you can see he's getting them to trust him more and more the more he works with them and that's the same thing he does with us he gets us to trust him more and more the more he works with us but when they got across the Red Sea they were excited they saw Pharaoh's the same water that parted for them consumed their enemies and so they saw God deliver them from Pharaoh's hand and the chariots and horsemen and his mighty warriors they will see no more I mean they're totally gone and so we have to to uh, understand why God does things the way that he does them and he wanted them to see that when he gets rid of when he delivers you he delivers you from an enemy and that affliction will not come upon you a second time because they're not there anymore got me and so he totally annihilates every enemy that would stand against his people so after they get over there they have a little worship and praise fest and singing and dancing and carrying on and carrying on uh, and then they get thirsty so the first thing that happens 
after your praise and after your excitement and after your worship, uh, then reality hits. And so they get thirsty and they come to a city called Mara. And that's in uh, Exodus 15 verse 22. Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea and they went out into the wilderness or the desert of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter or poisonous. That's what they're usually waters are, are bitter to the taste. Somebody will pick it up and, and the minute you put it to your mouth, you can tell sometimes it's mineral deposits and things of that nature that have caused it not to be uh, healthy for you to drink sometimes it's stale water whatever it is it was not healthy for them to drink they call sweet waters you spring waters or something like that that are running often are more purified and so they will call those waters sweet and so these waters were bitter because they would cause disease therefore it was called mara because mara means bitter And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance. So he made a law, and this is something that never changes. Once God says something, it lasts forever. Amen. This will always be true for you people. This is what God is saying. And he said, if you will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his sight and will give ear to his commandments and keep all of his rules, I will put none of the diseases upon you which I brought upon the Egyptians for I am the Lord that heals you. Now, When God makes an ordinance, it means that it cannot be violated. Got me? This is a rule. So God says, you're going to have to listen to me. You're going to have to trust me. You have to do what I tell you to do. Do what's right in my sight, not what you feel you want to do. So really, he rebukes them for murmuring. He rebukes them for complaining. This is not... A blanket uh, uh, pass that if you complain and cry and murmur, you're going to get what, what you're asking God for. See? He wants them to be clear about why he's doing this for them. He's doing it because of his great mercy. But he corrects them. He says, from now on, you're not going to come whining and complaining to my servant anymore. You're going to come to me like a covenant kid. Do the right thing and trust me that I will bring good things into your life. I will take care of you if you will honor me and do what's right in my sight. Listen to what I tell you. Focus on what, don't listen to what your stomach is telling you. What, don't listen to what your thirsty mouth is telling you. Listen to what I am telling you and things will work out well for you. He said, I'll put no disease upon you. You don't have to, he said, you could have drank that water in other words got me you see could have could have drunk that but the reason it was bitter to you is because the words of your mouth and the meditation of your heart so you can have good things in your life 
and consider them to be not good enough, bad, evil, rotten, whatever it is, depending upon the meditation of your heart and the words of your mouth. And so God is telling them from here henceforth, this is how I want you to live. If you will do everything that's right, you won't have any poison in your water. You won't have any lack of food. You won't have any lack of shelter. You won't have any lack of protection. But you must do everything I tell you to do. And that's the way to walk healed. That's the way to keep free of disease. That's the way to keep in in the line of blessing in everything that you do. So what does the word murmur mean? It means to stop. It means to be obstinate. So you can say a person who murmurs puts a halt to good things in their life. You put a stop to the flow of blessing. You put a stop to the flow of that which is right. To be obstinate means to not yield to the wisdom of God or not yield to the power that wants to bless you or to be unyielding. So people who murmur or who complain have a thing in them where they stand against they like put a, a, a wall up that the blessing of God cannot penetrate See, you have walled it in that's another definition for the word murmur it means veil which means that you spread a partition between you and the flow of blessing when they murmured in their tents They didn't murmur in front of Moses anymore. They went behind his back and murmured in their tents. And that word murmur is translated as veil. So the veil of their tent kept them separated from Moses so Moses couldn't hear. But guess who heard anyway? God heard. Amen. And so, you know, you're you're trying to veil it and and cloak it and, and keep it hidden from somebody. But it's still... Stand, standing in opposition of the good that God wants to do for you. The word murmur means to abide all night. So whatever it is that you speak of will remain. It won't depart from you. It will remain in your life. Yeah. It means to grudge. It means to endure. To be left. In other words, murmuring makes something remain there in your life. Causes it to be obstinate, immovable, steadfast. In other words, murmur keeps the trouble going. Job 7.11. I'm going to turn there real quick to see what Job has to say. trying to think who this is talking I hope it's not Joe but it just might be <clears throat> I think it is Job speaking he'll say therefore I will not refrain my mouth I will speak in the anguish of my spirit I will complain in the bitterness of my soul so this is when he didn't care how he sounded to God and the more he complained you see his his disease and his discomfort remained as long as he complained 
He says, and, and the bitterness in our soul will cause us to complain. You know what bitterness is? It means we've endured something so long that it's set up a, um, an, uh, a resistance on the inside of us to something good. Just like the bitter water at, Mar- at Mara, bitterness can get in your soul. It can, it can cause a, a festering in your thought life to where you have set up a resistance in your thinking against anything good. You ever, somebody complain to you and you say, well, let's pray. I prayed already. That's a bitterness. You, you try to offer them the word or offer them help or something like that. And you get, you know, get nipped because they are bitter in their souls because they feel that nothing's ever going to change. Uh, because they don't change. They don't allow God's word to penetrate that that um, that resistance. And so bitterness in your soul can cause a resistance to anything good coming in. Uh, bitter people are, are sometimes seem to be almost content in their suffering. They've just made their, their abode there. You know, like the man... At the pool of Bethesda, in the bed, thirty-eight years. You know, he probably had his his uh, room service coming there, and had an order of fries coming every noon. You know, all that kind of stuff. You just get so uh, so discouraged that anything's ever going to change, and you allow bitterness to come, so that it makes it more. It re- makes your soul more resistant to change, changing your confession, changing your thinking, letting the light of the Word of God come in. And break that down and penetrate it. Numbers 11. Uh, let me see. Go back a little bit. I think it's 11 verse 1. And when the people complained it displeased the Lord. So this is something you need to know. It's not pleasing to God for us to complain. It says it displeased the Lord and the Lord heard it. And his anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that when they were in the utmost parts of the camp. Amen. Now the people then cried to Moses and Moses prayed to the Lord and the fire was quenched. So it's... Complaining sometimes puts people in a place where they cannot help themselves. You got me? And and they need mercy from somebody who will come and impart something to them to break up that, that obstinance and that complaint. You got me? They have built a wall around themselves with their words. And it's not pleasing to God. Don't think. Sometimes people say, well, I just cried out to God and I told him everything. And pretty soon it changed. Well, it changed because of his mercy. God doesn't want you to come to him like that all the time. You're friends with God. He has a covenant method of us coming to him being heard. And that's praise and thanksgiving. You come to him that way, you'll always get everything that you ask for. But sometimes it's just the mercy of God where he just says, well, this, this one is not going to get the hint. You know, let me do something to help them so that they're not suffering beyond, you know, where they, where they need to be. 
we have to help ourselves folks we have everything that we need at our disposal for the good life that God wants us to live we really do it's a choice you make you choose to look at the negative look at the situation keep your eyes trained in the natural and have something to talk about you think or you allow yourself to listen to God and say God how do I eradicate this what do I do what do I say so because you need to know that complaining displeases God and it makes him angry why do you think it makes him angry you ever had a kid that everything you give them nothing's good enough Yeah, every family's got got at least one or two. If you got girls, you got as many as you got girls. (laughs) But 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 it's it's displeasing. It makes you feel small. It makes you feel inadequate. Like you're doing your best and it's still not good enough. What do what can I do for this kid? You know, many times whether parents like it or not, it's reflective of what the parent puts out too sometimes there's an atmosphere of complaining that's tolerated in certain situations you know everybody complains and you know, before you know it somebody's really caught on to it and running off with it the queen of mean queen of complaining amen and so we we do have to watch that you have to watch that when you uh, have little ones you have to be discreet you have to show some self-control you can't spit out everything that comes to your head uh, you you really do have to I can remember where parents really used to try very hard not to do certain things in front of their children you know it's, well, if the mom and dad didn't agree the kid never knew it because they would take that up later you know where they had privacy and so it's just everything's kind of like in the open now there's no discretion there's no very little self-control exerted and so we see the fruit of that in some of these unruly people that are loose in the world now amen so your complaining is it louder than your praising everybody complains you know what i'm saying everybody gets frustrated or say something off the cuff but uh don't run away with it amen keep the volume low and keep it in a place where you can repent of it very easily don't let it go on and on and certainly don't allow yourself to get to the place where your mind searches out things to complain about because sometimes people live like that they everything will be going good and then all of a sudden something negative will just that just grabs their attention more than anything else you know so you have to live in a place where you're uh, making the effort to renew your mind so that you think more like God God's not got he doesn't have problems folks he's not concerned about what the devil's doing you understand what I'm saying it doesn't bug him he's not excited about it. he's not upset by it uh, it's not exciting to him and so we have to live in that place of peace just like God is peaceful we should be peaceful so the volume of what we say is important why is it volume why is that why is volume important amen what is volume in the realm of the spirit volume is affected the volume of your words are affected by your faith the number one so faith is seen as well as heard you want your faith to be noticeable by God so your faith has to have certain weight certain volume to it 
has to have a, a voice. It has a voice. And it must be heard in loud volume. The volume of your words are also affected by your fervor or sincerity. Effectual and fervent prayer avails much. That means your fervor adds to the volume of your voice in the realm of the spirit. Frequency affects volume. You know, certain certain sound sound waves go at a certain so many cycles per second and so forth and so on. The frequency with which you say certain things affects the volume that they reach in the realm of the spirit. Intelligence and reason affect volume. Do you understand your understanding, I should say? affects your volume when you really understand what God wants and how he wants to do things you understand certain things about God you'll be quickly quick to speak that out and that projects a large volume in the realm of the spirit for instance if if you know you get a pain and you say oh no devil I'm healed God stop I'm healed that has a certain volume in the spirit by reason of the fact that it came to you quickly and it was like right on the top of your voice that was the first thing you spoke first thing you spoke to say now for instance if you had thought about it for a while and you had to think what's this and what's what is this from I can't well I, I, you know let me find out what this is that diminishes the voice of faith because you're just you're vacillating. You're trying to decide if you want to say you're healed or not. See, it's not spoken with the first faith that comes out of your voice. Got me? It comes over more like a whisper or a second guess or a second thought. Or, or it's more soulish where you're trying to convince yourself it's the right thing to say. But your mind is fighting you trying to figure out why this pain is here. You got me? All of those things diminish the volume of your sound in the realm of the spirit. Takes away from what your spirit would do. Like for instance sometimes we'll have, we'll decide, well God I want a certain amount of money and and we'll think a thousand dollars. And then later on your mind grabs it and says well that's too much I should say five hundred. We shouldn't do that. You know, what what difference does it make to God? <laughs> it makes a difference to us because we're looking at natural situations, but it doesn't make any difference to God. If it's in your spirit to ask for a thousand, my thought is this: spit it out first before you get a chance to rethink it and grab it back. You got? It? If God doesn't honor it, He doesn't honor it. But at least you put it out there. You got me? So uh, I was talking to somebody about that, and they had received a. a uh, bonus check from their work and they said they said I want you to see this Pastor Barb I remembered the prophecy and I, I, I uh, told the Lord you know because they they were expecting the bonus to come 
and they said actually I asked for 500 and it came into as three and so I told her I said well just think if you'd asked for three you probably have one fifty. No, I wasn't going to do that no more I made up my mind I would start doing what the, what God says to do I said that's right so you know you won't get it if you don't you have not because you ask not many times our mind is telling us to diminish things that God wants us to have more of you keep listening letting your mind take a bite out of your your prayer take a bite out of your faith you won't be left with much your little faith will be in shreds then you'll always be angry every time I pray I don't get as much as so and so and now I don't get enough and I just barely have enough and all this kind of stuff well you have not because you ask not you have to be bold and confident in your asking understanding that God means exactly what he says he says if you ask whatever you want it's up to you to want it you know if you want it ask for it and I'll do it for you so our our fervent prayer that fervor increases your volume in the spirit now who here is complaining now our father God says if you uh, uh, if you have iniquity in your heart he won't hear you and that hearing refers to hearing and answering um uh, uh, I'm trying to think what scripture it is. I think it's in uh, James. It says, "This is the confidence they have, we have in Him. We ask anything according to His will, He hears us." So, asking according to the Word, He always hears. The Bible says, "If we know He hears us, then we have what we're asking." The enemy also hears. The devil hears our complaints. That's why he'll go to the throne of God and accuse us day and night. Well, look at how they're acting down there. Look at what they said. Like, does Job honor you for nothing? Job never. You never give Job any trouble. He should serve you. You give. You do nothing but good for him all the time. And so many times, and and Job was an honorable man. But he wasn't perfect. He had his concerns. He had faults. He had weaknesses. But he lived as as perfectly before God as he could in covenant with God. But that didn't mean that bad things couldn't happen to him. Got me? Uh, We're not we're not here trying to hedge our own bets and cover our own losses, so that we're trying to do everything right so God won't punish us. That's a warped sense of who God is. And we all do it. You know, we catch yourself sometimes doing certain things and thinking, well, if I do this, that means that nothing bad's going to happen to me and all this kind of stuff. Uh, you can sin and repent and still expect good to come in your life. Ever try that? Yeah, it's called being a Christian, <laughs> being blood bought. Huh? And don't ever think you won't ever do anything wrong. That's a big lie. You know, it's just when First John says, when we sin, when we sin, we have an advocate. We don't have a prosecutor. We have an advocate. Okay? You prosecute yourself enough, so you don't need two prosecutors. So, amen. So, <clears throat> the enemy often hears our complaints, our ex-father, the devil, Unless we appeal for clemency, he has legal right to rule over our complaints. So that's why bad situations remain bad. 
when we say, oh, this is, I'm sick. I don't feel good. I don't know. You ever notice that as long as you say that, you don't? You can't, nothing good will come to you when you express bad. Your faith won't let it. I know, like, for instance, if you, if you're kind of like down in the bed, like if you get symptoms or catch flu or something like that, um, and you feel like you can't get out of bed, most people after a couple of days get sick of that and get up anyway. Well, you're getting up by faith. Suppose you did that the first day. You wouldn't have had two days in the bed. You know what I'm saying? But what happens is we get tired of what we've created. Got me? With our words and with our actions and with our, you know, once you see nobody's going to wait on you hand and foot, take a day off work to bring you soup and all that kind of stuff, you get up in a hurry. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Yep. You get up in a hurry. You know, I, I've seen people do this. You know, that it, you know, like if your spouse or somebody, and uh, oh, you're not feeling good, honey. Let me get this for you. It lasts like one trip to the kitchen. If you was married to who I was married to, you got like one thing of soup. You okay? And they say it like, "Get up. You are okay. Get up." Right. So, listen. I get my own soup. If I don't feel good enough, I lie back down, whatever it takes, but we're not going to go through this dance. But anyway, you know, the the fake compassion and all that kind of stuff. Just pray for me so I can get up out of this bed and keep it moving. And complaining is remaining. And complaining is remaining. According to our definition of murmur. It means to abide all night. (laughs) <laughs> Sickness will abide with you all night if you complain. Trouble will abide with you all night if you complain. Complaining really is a sign of defeat and frustration. It means you've given up already. Self-pity and doubt are helpers. They help you complain. Be careful of the frequency or how often you repeat certain things. Got me? Your frequency is the number of occurrence of a repeating event per unit of time. How many complaints do you have in an hour? How often do you complain? Complain sometimes is uh, people do it for attention. It's a habit some people have. They like the attention that they get through complaining because they don't know how to get it any other way. They're afraid to try to get it any other way. What you need to do is seek the attention of God. You know, what do I need to do to please God? And and let that be your your meat or your what you feed off of. Our aim should be to get our complaining down to zero. Now, if something is not right in your life, you can pray about it 
And a prayer really is not a complaint. You got me? It really isn't. What is a complaint? Uh, in legal terms, a complaint is a set of facts set in a formal legal document that give legal reasons or cause of action that the complainant believes is sufficient to support a claim against a party. So a complaint is is something that you're lodging against somebody. That's why it makes God angry. Because what you're saying when you say, oh, I, I don't feel good, I hurt, I mean, you're complaining against him because he has already said what? Oh, oh you say that anyway. You're overriding his word and you're lodging a legal action against him. See, we have to be careful with that because you're, 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 uh, trying to hold guilty an innocent party which is the blood the bloodshed was innocent had no fault in it nothing wrong with it so the blood is always right the blood always does the right thing it always brings about the right and what you're saying when you complain on top of that I don't have enough I need more I wish I had this I'll be glad when I am there all those complaints they're being lodged against an innocent entity and that is the blood of Jesus so what you're saying is what Jesus did is not sufficient for you he was whipped he was beaten he was bruised it pleased the Father that it was total and complete payment, but yet we are saying it's not sufficient. We're saying it's not good enough. We're saying it didn't provide. We're saying it's not. So we, we've lodged a formal complaint against a party or parties, and we're claiming something against them. Yeah. We feel we're entitled to and really it's been given already so entitlement is not an issue but we feel like we're entitled beyond where the covenant prescribes that we live see Jesus said if you believe me then it's yours but what we do when we complain we feel we're entitled beyond believing or is an exception to believing or we want to be different we don't have to believe we don't have to confess the word we don't have to listen to the tapes we don't have to meditate on the word we should be healed you got me and so we have to understand that we cannot lodge a complaint at the throne room of heaven there's nothing to complain about all the promises of God are yes and amen by us just go up there and say yes and amen I received my healing and go shut up somewhere go meditate on the word because complaints are not heard at the throne of God got me because he's holy and without blame you get tossed out <laughs> contempt the <of> court <laughs> go go to the pokey you got me so we we've got to understand that what we're doing uh, we feel wronged when we when we are complaining. It's not fair. You know, God shouldn't. I shouldn't have to stay in the Word all this time. I've been in the Word. I've been in the Word enough. You know, I should be healed by now. All that kind of stuff. It's just you know, comes from a bad place. 
what we're doing is we're saying his covenant is not flawless. We're saying there's something wrong in God's word that he requires so much. It's just a form of self-pity. You know, same self-pity that makes you complain is the same one that makes you think God's not being fair to you. When we suffer loss, way in the back of your mind is creeping in there. God's, he's forgotten about me and he, until you get what you asked for and then you're all happy, happy again. You're really more of a brat than an adopted child. You know, you need some, you need some teaching. You need some discipline. You know, you need, you need a little work. You know, it's just true. So, you need to ask if you feel wronged, who wronged you? Mm-hmm. We don't want to say that, huh? <laughs> it's important to find out who do you feel is responsible for your situation, for your sense of loss or discomfort. Somebody's responsible if you're complaining. If a complaint is lost against a person, we will always lose. As the Bible tells us, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's not people messing with you. The devil who, you know, people may say something or, or offend you in some way. But for you to get worked up about it, you've been listening to the devil. Embellish it. And tell you it's life or death. Tell you, you know, you got to set them people straight now. You know, you can't let them get away with this. So whenever you continue to wrestle against flesh and blood, you, you're, you're, not, you're in error. Your thinking is, is erroneous. Man. So we do not, flesh and blood is never your problem. People are not your problem. And we must, <clears throat> uh, uh, we will never get satisfaction wrestling against flesh and blood. The devil will keep you running from one situation to another one, trying to get satisfaction, trying to be justified, because you refuse to look at the fact that people are not your problem. And then, and see, when you're wrestling against flesh and blood, what you're afraid of is to think that you're the problem. See, But that's not true either. Because you're not a problem person. You've decided to keep it in the arena of flesh and blood. So it's either them or it's you. Well, it can't be me because I'm a Christian. I do everything right. It's got to be them. huh? And so you keep it on them. And as long as you keep it on them, you'll have fear of man, which the devil wants you to have. So he can chase you from pillar to post, place to place, situation to situation. And you never come into the rest of God. You never come into the promised land where he wants you to abide. These things, these murmurings, if you look at it, Israel never entered into the promised They stayed in the desert. Forty years they died there. Why? Because they never mixed the word of God with faith. And once you mix it with faith, that's your righteousness. Your complaining ceases. And you start speaking what God would have you to speak. And your life improves dramatically. I mean, it, you, you do a 360 when you start saying what God wants you to say. So that's, that's how you do it. You mix it with faith. So when a complaint starts to rise up, you say, no, that's not right. No, that, this isn't right because God has given us all things. And there's nothing missing. There's nothing to complain about. There's no lack in my life. There's nothing wrong. And I thank you, Jesus, that you have given me all things. See, you turn it into a praise. 
So you 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 have to shut down the volume on your complaining and increase the volume on your praise. It's it's a must do. It's a must do. Well, I don't feel like I have none to praise God about. We'll keep fishing around in the Bible. You'll find something. Every psalm you get to starts out with praise ye the Lord. <laughs> so must mean you don't need a reason. Mm-hmm. We don't have reasons for most of what we do. We just do them. Mm-hmm. Why do you always you know, lean over on the, lean your hand over like that when you drive? I don't know. You don't need a reason for <laughs> you have to analyze everything. So so we we have to understand that these things these habits can be changed. You've got to get out of the blame game because it's no win. Jesus took the blame, carried our sorrows, he did all of that. Why? So that we could be free to praise God and receive what we need. Hmm? Understand that God is not to be blamed. That's also useless. He is not against us. He is for us. Disobedient people blame God a lot. I've noticed that. People that just don't want to get it right, don't want to correct their behavior. Or they correct it for a short period of time and then go back to their own habits. And their bad habits catch up with them again. And they're on a timeout, and they want to continue to blame God, but they're the ones who are not diligently hearkening to His voice and doing what's right in His sight. You got me? That's got to be a must do. And you can't do it like you want to do it. You have to be led by the Spirit of God. You have to do what the Holy Spirit tells you to do. If He tells you to shut up and quit complaining and, and backbiting people, then you do that. If he tells you to cut it out with the fear and the you know all this kind of stuff, you got to do that. You just have to be able to be coached by him, so that you can receive what God wants you to have. Numbers eleven eleven, we see Israel in the wilderness. We read that already, where they were complaining and God was angry with them. He was not pleased. They made no progress. But went around the mountain for 40 years. They dug ruts. God will not prosper you, but he will keep you alive. Got me? And there's such a difference. There's so many Christians who have a decent job. But not a prosperous one. They have a, a I guess, a, a, a steady income, but they don't advance very much. And, and there's a difference. There's a something that God wants to bless us with that takes faith and increasing faith. But we stay at a certain level, and I think it's just a maintenance level. I think it's a wandering in the wilderness level. And going around the same mountain. Because we do. If you look at it. Many Christians live like people in the world live. They get a job. They keep it for X number of years. They retire. They get social security. Or blah this or blah that. And that's as far as they go. I believe that God has so much more for us. 
but we set our sights too low because we don't know how to increase our faith, how to expand our borders, how to branch out and expect more and, and do more with what we have. Many times we disdain the things that God has put into the earth to cause us to prosper. I'll hear people people will say things like, um, well, I don't do the 401k. That's for those management people. Well, is it offered to you? Yeah. Well, then you do it. You got me? Uh, you know, don't don't leverage yourself out of certain things because of some stereotype that's in your mind. You know, the devil plants those ideas. I remember talking to somebody in my family. They were younger. They didn't want to get in management. Oh, yeah, that's just too much headaches. And I said, well, the headaches are where the money is. I said, they give you money to solve problems. Problems aren't always headaches for you if God puts you there. I said, so why don't you rethink that and pray about asking God? And pretty soon they were in management. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, you, you don't have to think about that too long. Really, there's a, a thing that the enemy puts out. He'll put out a lie about certain things and see if he can get people to believe it. The more people he can get to believe it, the more he can hold us back and keep us into just a basic level of living in God and not the prosperity God wants us to have. Can you prosper on a fixed income? Yeah, if you quit saying it's fixed. Say it's expanding. (laughs) I have an expanding income. It's always enlarging, always increasing. That's more in line with God's word. The government tells you it's fixed. Why? Because they don't want to give you no more. Even though you put all your work into it. I said, it's fixed. Because <laughs> we ain't giving you no more. Well, your blessing doesn't come from the government anyway. It comes from God. So just tell God uh, it's not fixed. It's expanding. Huh? <laughs> uh, let me see. Isaiah 29. I'll turn there. Isaiah 29, verse 24. It says, They also that erred in spirit shall come to understanding. Talking about the time of the Lord. And they that murmured shall learn doctrine. See, murmuring is because people don't put themselves in a place of learning. And learn something about God. I, I really gotta master this. I gotta, I gotta quit this way of living because I know He has more for me. I can sense it. His word says it. So they need to learn doctrine. That's all. They just need to learn what to do, how to do it, and how often to do it. Many times people quit bad habits for a season and pick them right back up again. They never in their heart divorced it know what a divorce is is final we don't go like this no more okay we done we sue whatever you want to call it but when you repent you really in your heart should be divorcing yourself from certain things and then you learn what god expects that's what doctrine is it's the things that god expects exodus 16 9 god heard their murmuring again amen 
murmuring always delays our deliverance and our answer. It puts a stop on things. It puts an overnight. Remember that definition? To remain overnight. Uh, you You can murmur for half the day and then at the end of the day, oh, I guess I'll praise God. Well, what happened to what you did all day long? Huh? So we have to learn to make improvement there. Expect yourself to improve. Expect yourself to never return to that old habit again. You know what I mean? You just divorce that thing. I'm not going to do that anymore. Amen? Philippians 2.14 tells us. Let's go there so you can see it with your own eyes. We like that. I can do all things that Christ who strengthens me. That's not the one. 2.14 says, do all things without murmurings and disputings. In other words, don't fuss at people when they tell you to get up and do things. Hmm? Now, many people don't murmur, but they dispute. Amen. Disputing is always, you know, if somebody corrects you and you say, Oh, well, the reason I did it like that was that even shut up. Disputing. Amen. We get a long draw. I don't care. You still didn't do it. You got me? I want it done. And so, but what that does is that that leaves you in a place of making the same mistake over again. Then if it's pointed out again, you think somebody's picking on you. You understand what I'm saying? It's because you keep offering excuses are really permissions to continue the same road. That's where you give yourself permission to do it again. So what you say is really not wrong. I did it because this and this makes it right. And what that says is you're giving yourself permission to do it again. That's why it takes some people so long to correct a bad habit. We're always making excuses. Like if, if you know you, you were uh, angry with somebody and you were short with them, you know you need to apologize to them. And you, well, God, I, I'm, a, I'm sorry, but the reason I did it is because. You got me? You don't need reasons. You need a determination. To not repeat the same things over and over again. Don't want to repeat. You want to correct. We all do. Because we hate it so much when we're wrong. You know, you don't like that feeling. So if you help yourself by understanding what it means to to learn doctrine. You, You have to learn doctrine. And it says, do all things without murmurings and disputings. Why? Verse 15, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God. That's the way Christians operate. Without rebuke in the midst of a quicked and perverse generation. So there are going to be some people that will condone what you do when it's wrong. You got me? But you've got to stand out like a light and say, no, that was wrong. I did that and that was wrong. It wasn't right. And I need to correct that. Amen. I want to correct it. I don't want to give excuse. I don't need an excuse. I need correction. So you just do what you know you're supposed to do and keep it moving. <laughs> so it says do all things without murmuring. It, murmuring can be a habit. You know, sometimes you grew up in an atmosphere where everybody complained. Or your parents never, like my mother said, come over here. 
You know, if you didn't look right when she told you to do something, she got that look off your face, huh? Because it, it wasn't it wasn't respectful to her. She's your mother. You, she has a right to instruct your life, command you to do certain things, go certain ways, whatever. She's in charge, and it's disrespectful to you know roll your eyes or sigh or you know all that stuff we do when we don't want to be bothered or you hold your peace and then go behind their back and complain to 15 people you got me so you can't do that and so these things are 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 not pleasing to god he can't help you if you don't go down that street amen complaining keeps an atmosphere of defeat around us we see that in deuteronomy chapter one Chapter 1, and I think it's. Verse 21, I think. Let me sneak up on it and see. It says, Behold, the Lord thy God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it. As the Lord. I think this is Moses talking to the people. Go up and possess it as the Lord the God of your fathers has said to you. Fear not neither be discouraged. And you come near unto me every one of you and said we will send men before us and they shall search out the land. Bring us word again the way we should go. And the saying pleased me well and I took twelve men of you one of a tribe. And they turned and went to the mountain came to the valley of Eskel and searched it out. And they took of it the fruit of the land in their own hands and brought it down to us and brought us word again. And said yes it is a good land which the Lord has given us notwithstanding you would not go up but rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God out of fear fear is no excuse for not obeying God got me he didn't give you fear you got to renounce the fear as well and you murmured in your tents and said because the Lord hated us he's brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us now your God has to operate one way and one way only he can't love you one minute and hate you the next that's not God so you got to make up your mind who God is and that's where Israel failed when things were going well God loved them when they didn't go so good God hated them you can't make God good and evil both you got to make up your mind he's good because that's what the truth is when you say things like God doesn't want me to prosper or God doesn't want me to you know have as large a ministry as so-and-so has or something or something goofy you know and you're painting him in a false perspective you're giving him attributes that do not belong to him the problem is never God it's always us our thinking the way we distort things the devil talking to us we listen to him whatever but it's not God if he tells you to do something he you will be successful only if you follow him and he says where shall we go up our brethren have discouraged our hearts saying the people is greater and taller than we the cities are great and walled up to heaven moreover we have seen the see this is somebody who listens to the devil because his whole conversation is exaggerated 
whenever you have emotional extremes in your conversation it's the devil people don't even think like that the city's wall of the city is all the way up to heaven what kind of nonsense is that the people are so tall we'll never be able to fight them what kind of nonsense is that I'm with with Arnold uh, in one of my favorite movies which one let me think about that that wasn't a Terminator when this was a oh that alien thing that he was facing if it, if it bleeds we can kill it that sort of thing if you can bind it you can stop it if it's the devil you can stop it amen yeah what was that what was the name of that G you remember it and there were several predator that's what it was yeah if it bleeds you can kill it so that's what we got to remember amen God told you you can whoop it you can whoop it in fact he'll beat it for you all of these things are defeated anyway God has more wisdom to outwit the devil than you can ever want to come across then I said to you dread not neither be afraid now Moses pleads with them not to be afraid listen to God the Lord your God which goes before you shall fight for you he's going ahead of you to fight these people and you've seen him do it before he did it for you in Egypt and in the wilderness there you've seen how that the Lord your God bear you as a man doth bear his son in all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet in this thing you, you don't believe the Lord your God who went in the way before you. So Moses reads them all the history, everything. He says in verse 35, Surely there shall not one of these men of this evil generation see the good land which I swore to give to your fathers. So there's the curse. Except Caleb the son of Jephunneh, he shall see it. To him will I give the land that he tread upon into his children because he's wholly followed the Lord. You are holding him up. Be careful you don't come into agreement with complainers. Always shake yourself free of that. Say, nah, we're not going to go there. Never. Also, the Lord was angry with me for your sake, saying, You're not going to go in there either. <laughs> Moses said, Y'all kept me from going in. And Joshua, the son of Nun, he, these two will, will go through and inherit. And he will cause Israel to inherit their land. He said, Moreover, your little ones, which you said it would be a prey, and your children, which in that day had no knowledge between good and evil, they'll go in too. So Moses is reading the curse to him, telling him who's blessed and who's cursed. But as for you, turn you and take your journey in the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. Then he answered and said unto me, We have sinned against the Lord. We're sorry. We know we go go. And the Lord said to me, Don't tell them they're not going up. Don't fight. I'm not among you. You either take fear with you or you take God. But if you insist on being fearful, he's not with you. People are scared of everything. You know, scared of what their spouse will say, what the uh, people around them will say, what their co-workers will say, what the kids will say. There's people scared of everything. You're hindered in, in expressing what God wants you to express when he wants you to express it. There's such thing as casting your pearls before swine. Some people just they are waiting for you to say something they can pounce on. Uh, you're not going to get anywhere with them so save it save it for people who really want to hear it amen 
So he says uh, God heard their murmuring, wouldn't take them in. And so the just Joshua and Caleb, and you see that in, when when the first five books of the Bible ends and Joshua, the book of Joshua begins, you see Joshua and Caleb and a bunch of kids. Amen. So Joshua and Caleb get to be grandparents to the new tribe of Israel. Amen. God will start off fresh with a remnant. He always does. Always does. You want to be in the remnant of believing people. You don't want to be with the ones that die in the wilderness. Amen. Now, in order to get in the presence of God, stop your complaining. Begin to praise. Just cut it right off. When you find yourself getting ready to say something about the natural condition of your life, your body, your finances, your whatever, whatever, you stop yourself and you start to lift him up. Amen. Because your volume in your praise must must outvolume the volume in your complaining. You have to be heard by God in order to get what what we what you need. Psalm one hundred verse four says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving, no complaining, and enter his courts with praise. I don't care what you have, you must be thankful for it. Look at what you have, not at what you lack. Got me? If you if you don't have a job, if you've got a resume, thank God for your resume. Thank God this is the most uh, impressive resume these people will ever look at. Thank you, Lord, that I have your favor. You're going to make this resume stand out. And I will be the first one that they call and I will get this job in Jesus' name. You got me? You do Thanksgiving. The longer you... Jimmy around with complaining the longer it's going to take you to get through to God you know and and get him to help you what does praise do It, it enters his gates we enter his gates through our heart and our lips amen so praise puts your heart and your lips toward God praise invokes the power and the presence of God and the heavenly host. So all of heaven stands at attention for praise. You know that from reading the Bible. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Heaven and earth are filled with his glory. So God shows up and the heavenly host show up. And they say, what do you need? We're here to, we're here to be dispatched to fulfill this need that you have or fulfill this request that you have. We call on God when we say hallelujah. He comes into our midst. Praise should never depend on circumstances because God is worthy of it already. You don't have to think of something he did for you to make him worthwhile. He's already worthy. Praise really comes out of a relationship with God and out of a, a sought relationship So when you're seeking more of God, you offer him praise. And when you understand God, you offer him praise. He's always worthy. Don't ever think of getting a dry mouth and withholding praise because your life isn't going right. Amen. Hebrews 12.2 
What's in your praise? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, is set at the right hand of the throne of God on high. So Jesus is, is giving us his joy that causes us to be able to endure. So it's not like you don't have difficulties. But if you will praise God and keep yourself in joy, you have the power to endure. Joy is an overcoming fruit of the Spirit. Joy will cause you to leap over everything and consider it inconsequential. Why do you think people get high when they have problems? They're trying to pull themselves out of the power of the problem and put themselves in a higher dimension of overcoming. So even in a natural realm, you see that desire to get over into a zone or a realm where you don't care about anything. And that's what joy does for us. You don't have a care in the world when you start rejoicing in God and you start allowing God's mind to take over your problem. Joy will cause you to endure things that that the average person, you know, would send them out of the, you know, into the <laughs> the psych ward for. Uh, the joy of the Lord will do that for you. I know as I recovered from uh, depression, God caused me to laugh at a lot of things that I used to. I used to take it so seriously. And I remember thinking to myself sometimes, I said, you know what, this ain't that serious. When I would really think about it, you know, it's not that serious. And the more I said that about things that used to really uh, pull me down and discourage me, the more it was true. You know, you can pronounce things and declare things a certain way in your life. Uh, you know, this this uh, issue with my marriage is not that serious. You know, whereas a couple years back, it was the end of the world to me. It felt I felt like a failure. Uh, it wasn't so much. I always tell people, I said, now don't get me wrong here. I didn't think because I was losing one husband, I couldn't get another one. But the my response to a broken covenant was that I was a failure. And see, it's all in how you perceive your situation that you... you uh, you know, you, you have to, to learn how to adjust that and understand that you're not a failure unless God says it's over. And even with that, there's no failure there. Because if he tells you something's over, it's over. Now, as long as you want a marriage, I believe God will stand for you. You, you're the one who made that up. That was your idea. God didn't tell most people. God don't tell them to marry nobody. They do it because they want to. So it's what we're doing is we're entering into an agreement that God will uphold, but we have to enter into it. He's not necessarily making you do something, or then when you do something and it doesn't work out, He says it wasn't Him. That's not how God rolls. He's not a cop-out artist. He doesn't need to absolve himself of any responsibility for anything because he's holy. 
You got me? He doesn't make mistakes. And so in, in you don't have to languish in a mistake either. You make a mistake. You know you did wrong. You go to God and repent. But, but you know, there's fruit from all of that stuff. So sometimes it's better to believe God to work things out than to try and jump ship and mess up again. You got me? And so you just have to understand uh, what God does with covenant. You know, he's, he ties two people together uh, miraculously and that cannot be broken by human means because it's not a human bond. So we have to we have to understand that if he's the one holding us together, we gotta let him manage this thing. We gotta let him run things. You gotta let you gotta do things as unto the Lord. You just can't go, jump into marriage and do what you want to do. It's not like that, and it's not what we think it is. You don't know why God connects people together like that. You know, some people are married and nothing but sickness and problems for ten, fifteen years straight. Well, any idiot can say, well, maybe God didn't tell you to, why? Why wouldn't he tell you to marry somebody? Everybody gets sick. But you've got to look at God. There's bigger things involved here than what you see. It's not about whether a person's sick or well, pretty, ugly, fat, skinny. None of that stuff matters. That's a human soul. He connects souls together for a purpose. And he helps you to understand that person, how to live with that person, how to cause that person to prosper and grow. And they cause you to prosper and grow and you become one. It's much bigger than what we think. It's not about appearances in this thing at all. And it's not about getting what you want. It's about God getting what marriage. He created marriage, not you. It wasn't created for you. It was created for God. Got me? To demonstrate family in the earth. Demonstrate how the family is supposed to treat one another. How is the family supposed to work together? That's what it's about. It's about how we treat one another in God. It's a demonstration of his relationship to the church. He doesn't drop us, leave us, walk away because we get sick. God going to quit you because you're sick? Are you kidding me? He's the Lord that heals you. He going to quit you because you're broke? You lose the job? No, he's the Lord who prospers you. He'll take care of you through thick and thin. huh? He wants us to demonstrate his character down here on earth, whether we think it or not. <clears throat> the presence of God is what we want to make our life easier and our work easier. That takes a complaint out of everything is the presence of God. If you can complain in the real presence of God, you're pretty good. <laughs> Got me? That's why it's always good to keep thanksgiving on your lips. I thank you, God. You don't have to thank him for anything. Just thank him. I thank you, Lord. That's good enough. You don't have to thank him for anything. Just thank you, Lord. And he'll show up. But there's so much in your life to thank him for. Amen. There is so much. There is so much. The fruit of the Spirit is present when God is here. You're back in the garden again. Faith is there. And it seeds your atmosphere. And it will bathe the atmosphere for the growth of the promises that you're believing him for. 
we want all of our seeds to yield a hundredfold. Mm-hmm. Bathe them in praise. Bathe them in thanksgiving. Keep your atmosphere thankful around you. Don't allow any complaining in your atmosphere. You know, I know sometimes people do. You know, I mean, get it out and get it over with. But let's take it to prayer. Let's take it to the throne. Let's get a resolution. Some people get attention from complaining. You know, it's a habit with some people. They just gotta keep a dry look in a. You know, some people look so dry and sour all the time. They scare you when they smile. You look at them and say, is that a smile? <laughs> Mess with y'all. You know what I'm talking about. The skin cracks and look all funny. Say, I think they smiled. I'm sure. I've never seen that before. never seen that look before. But, but we have to. Amen. We have to keep God's joy about us. Keep your atmosphere right. Complaining is it bigger than your praise. Make your praise bigger than your complaint. Amen. Father, thank you for your word, for understanding. Thank you, Lord, for your glory, which reigns in our midst at all times. We honor you, Lord. And we love you and we bless you and we praise you. Thank you, Lord, that all things work together for our good. Because we love you. And we are the called according to your purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. If anybody needs prayer, come on up. We'll pray.